As Paul was announcing those books, I wondered, since I was at university with Jim Packer, am I an old classic? Perhaps I am an old classic now, there you are. Almost half a century ago, uh, a young, rather brash minister in Edinburgh uh, was pondering whether or not to get rid of Remembrance Day. Uh, The students who started coming to church didn't see all that. They tended to boycott Remembrance Day service. Some people thought we were glorifying war. Uh, The war was getting further in the past than I, I had more or less decided in my youthful enthusiasm and exuberance and error uh, to get rid of uh, Remembrance Day. We had a minister's fraternal meeting at our house and uh, an older, uh, terse-speaking, dour Highlander, uh, my next-door neighbour, decided to give me a little word. And he, he, he went something like this. Mr. Hacking, we never call ourselves by Christian names in Scotland in those days. Mr. Hacking, he said, uh, if you had lived where I lived, When I lived in a village up in the north of Scotland, where a generation older than mine all were wiped out, none of them came back, you would never dream of not remembering. Please remember that. I did remember that, and Remembrance Day happened, and I have never ceased to do it. The dear old man was right. But what is interesting now is that, in fact, it's come back into the centre of things. Well, it was true in those days. Students did boycott it. They didn't like the idea of Remembrance Day. Isn't that when Christians sort of say silly things about people dying in war going straight to heaven? That's not true, is it? Of course it's not true. And we misuse the words of Scripture and we take that lovely verse, greater love as no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, which is our Lord speaking about the cross, and we use it about war. Is that fair? Well, I think it could be. We'll come back to that in a moment. But why I think it's now become different, and these are words of introduction before we turn to Romans 5, is that, of course, we're living in a world where it's sadly a reality again. Oh, yes, there have always been wars, but more recently we've been involved, Iraq, Afghanistan, and so on. And there are people we read in the press who are suffering desperately because of war. They have bereavement all around us, and some of us here may know friends and family. So it's all become very real again, very personal. And we're reminded again of the cost of trying to bring peace with justice in the world. It's a costly business. There is a price in trying to bring peace. Now, of course, Christians will always be those who love peace. We serve a prince of peace. We should be celebrating in a few weeks' time the day when the angels proclaim peace on earth. And people say, well, that's all very well. 2,000 years ago, it hasn't happened, has it? And uh, we remember the words in Isaiah. When Isaiah had the vision that one day uh, people would beat their swords into plowsheds and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not learn to take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. And we'll say, well, that's even longer ago and it hasn't happened. Wait a minute. We've never tried it. You see, that's the result of when the word goes out from Jerusalem and people listen and obey the word of God. Of course, if we did, that would be the result of it. But it's not happened. And I would like to point out that people do forget that while the the verse I've read is true... The book of Joel says the opposite. Joel chapter 3 verse 10 talks about beating their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. We used to sing choruses about that, didn't we? Isn't it funny how modern choruses have a short sell-by date? But let the weak say, I am strong is a sort of, it's all to do with going back to war again. There is a war on. 
James, when he writes his letter in James chapter 3, verse 17, says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It is never, ever, ever peace at any price. And the mess we get in the world and the mess we get in the church is to try to do that. Oh, it doesn't matter what you believe, we must all be at peace. However much we disagree with each other, we must be at peace. Well, I understand that, but that's not biblical. Who preached peace, peace in the Old Testament? The false prophets. The ones who wanted to be well thought of. The ones who wanted to paper over the cracks. The ones who loved the well done of other people. The man who, those who preached the truth, Jeremiah, Micaiah, found themselves in prison and in dungeon for their pains. No, there always is a war on spiritually. Ephesians 6 reminds us there's spiritual warfare at all times. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. And in its context, he's talking about what will inevitably happen in the world in which we live. Years ago, a lady said to me, I don't want my child baptized with all those horrible words about fighting manfully under his banner against sin, the world and the devil. I don't want that kind of thing. I'm a pacifist. I don't want my son to be, have, have those words said over him. And I said, well, madam, you can be a pacifist. That's a very reasonable position to take. I am not. But I can understand you taking that position. But in the spiritual realm, there is no pacifism possible. Your son will have to fight if he wants to be a Christian. He has no option because outside in the world and inside in his own nature, there's a conflict that will all go on. I remember reading an article some time ago, a very interesting article about a, from a Jewish man, an older man who had been delivered from the Holocaust. And he was trying to teach his grandchildren a little truth. He didn't despise them for their peace marches with their banners and doves. But he said, I want you to remember, who brought us out of the Holocaust? No, it wasn't people marching with banners. They had machine guns in their hands and military boots on their feet. They were the ones who brought us out. Just remember that. And so on this Remembrance Day, now I turned you back to Romans 5, that was the introduction to the passage. We started five minutes earlier now, so you're all right. I've got five minutes longer to preach. Uh, uh, and Romans 5, 11th page, 1132 is where we are, page 1132. And this is a reminder to us that there is a greater love. There really is. When Jesus says, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, my mind wants to say, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. There is a greater love than that. What he's saying, of course, is right in his context. You cannot do anything more for your friends than to lay down your life for them. That is a supreme mark of love. And he would go on to say, you are my friends. But, of course, the love of Jesus went further. Do you see those words in this Romans 5? While we're still sinners, verse 8, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, verse 10, he died for his enemies, for sinners. We've been reminded recently, but it often happens, doesn't it? We've been reminded of those parents who drowned saving their children. Touching, tragic, beautiful. But of course they were their children. They were the bonds of love. They were the kind of things that, well, all of us perhaps would feel we would want to do. But Jesus went further, of course. He did it for those who didn't love him. He did it for those who hated him. He could say from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And I remember the days when I used to sing in crucifixion, stainless crucifixion, Jesus the crucified pleads for me, as he did 
from the cross. So in that sense, every Sunday is a remembrance day. And the offer of Romans 5 is we have peace with God. Not a feeling, not a subjective experience, emotion, but a status. We have peace with God. You see it through our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase comes in verse 1, it comes again in verse 11, and it comes as the last verse of every chapter, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. That is, it's only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that there can be peace with God. That's where true peace will come. And I want, if I may, for the rest of this sermon, to do it in this order. I want to point out this peace comes from past experience, verses 5 to 8. And because of past experience, verses 1 to 4, we have present enjoyment. And not only present enjoyment, but verses 9 to 11, future expectation. That's where we're going. What about this past experience? Well, it's hope, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us. Lots of hopes do. Many of us have hopes that never happen. But this hope will not disappoint. How do we know? We don't know what the future holds. But we do know some things of the past. And what we know from the past is that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Indeed, the whole argument in Romans is spent the first four chapters pointing out that every single person alive is bound under this fact that we are sinners and we cannot win our salvation. And is there any answer? Yes, the answer is in what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's a love gift and it's a life gift. It's a love gift there in verse, uh, in verse 5. He's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's going back to two moments in history as Paul. He's going back to to, to Calvary. He's going back to Pentecost. Christ died, and because he died for us, then he poured out his, his spirit. And he's not only going back to Pentecost, he's also going back to their past experience. Now, I don't know whether you've had a vivid conversion experience. Some people get worried about this conversion phrase, born again phrase. I didn't have a very vivid conversion. I can remember when I made my first vows, when and where it was, but it was uh, part of a process. What matters, whether you've had a vivid experience or not, that there is in your life a kind of B.C. and A.D. There is a time before Christ, and there are the years of being in Christ, and it was all because of his love. He poured his love for us. That past experience is something that gives us hope. But not only a love gift, it was a life gift. And that comes out, you see, in verse 6 and 7 and 8, that he, we might die for somebody we love, like these parents, but he commends his love to us while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. And he gave his life for the ungodly, verse 6. He died. Just ponder that truth. We remember today those who died in world wars and we thank God for their sacrifice and there are people dying even as I preach at this moment in world wars. They've given their life. When Jesus died on the cross, it was at a different level. It was, of course, a physical death. It had great agony. It was awesome. But, of course, the great moment when he cried across, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? At that moment, Jesus went to hell. He was in hell for us. He suffered rejection from his own father. He carried the wrath of God within us. The tragedy is, even in our modern age, people argue, even in the church, that we should get away from this idea of the wrath of God in Jesus. 
That's the expression of true love. It's because he did take God's wrath. He was separated from God that I know how much he loves me. Take that element of the way. It's just one martyrdom in millions. But it's unique. And it was a life gift. And it was, you see, verse 6 for the ungodly. Verse 10 for his enemies. For those deserving wrath. Verse 9 for those powerless to save themselves. Verse 6. As a member of this congregation, I've told the story often, but let me tell it again because it's so telling. A member of this congregation, a medical man who was called in at the Hillsborough disaster uh, to try to deal with those who were, who, who lost, who were, who were injured because of the, uh, the things that happened at Hillsborough. And there came this moment when he had to try to tell his father about his son who's dead. And our friend said to the uh, father, uh, about his son being, and tried to talk to him about Jesus. And suddenly this man shouted at the top of his voice, Don't you talk to me about God? What does God know about losing a son? And suddenly he burst into tears. Because, you see, he knew enough to know that God did know about losing a son. And it's that, you see, that reminds us on this Remembrance Day how remarkable our gospel is. And how anyone in great need can enter into it. And it's behind the great message of Christmas. There was a day, thankfully we've moved out of it, there was a day when uh, the occasional churchgoer uh, had a diary which started Easter, Harvest, Remembrance Day, and the next one on the calendar was Christmas. And that was the sort of uh, way it went. I'm sure there's nobody here like that, of course, but if you are, see you at Christmas. But they're, 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 I mean, they're not like that, are you? But the next one is, is Christmas down the road. And Christmas time is, what is it? Galatians 4. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those, to die, to be Jesus' saviour. A life gift, a love gift. That, for us, is in the past, the past experience. So what about the present enjoyment, verses 1 to 4? Well, uh, four things. First, peace with God. Please note, peace with God, that status we have, is either, you can translate it, we have peace with God in the indicative, or let us have peace with God in the subjunctive, if you remember your grammar. That is, it's true, but are we enjoying it? We have peace with God, but are we enjoying it? Uh, and uh, it's in verses 10 to 11, it's the word reconciliation. We all know what that means. I'd be surprised if some of us in this congregation were not out of reconciliation with somebody else. And how desperately important it is to try to be reconciled, particularly if we're in brothers and sisters in Christ. So we know what it means not to be reconciled. But the peace with God, when Jesus died, he reconciled us. Not only did he reconcile us to him, to God, he reconciled God to us. This is deep theology, but it's important. That is, because of our sins, God was out of peace with us. Christ had to die on the cross, Romans 3, to make it possible for God to be both just and the forgiver of those in Christ. And it's a big issue, but it's desperately important. Not only are we to be reconciled to him, but he to us. And the death of Jesus made that possible. Peace with God. It's been my privilege to uh, travel abroad, but you know in Christian ministry, uh, not least uh, on one occasion, or not four occasions, I think, to go to Japan to preach. And my interpreter in Japan, a lovely man who would talk to us about the Second World War and what they suffered because of war. And I found it fascinating. He was a great preacher. 
Whether he preached the same sermon I did, I have no idea. You never know when you're preaching by interpretation whether they're preaching what you're saying, but it was good. They enjoyed it, whether it was mine or not. Um, but we used to preach together. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? We were at war. We were enemies. And now we were reconciled. I have to tell you, there was one man in this parish who was very annoyed at me for going. I was, he, he, he was blisteringly annoyed at me. He'd suffered in the hands of Japanese in the war and he thought it was wrong for me to go and preach. Now, I, I sympathise that I felt, but he was profoundly wrong. If as Christians we have nothing to offer across the barriers of the world, there is no hope for our world. And so we preach together about peace with God. But also the presence of God. Not only peace with God, but we've gained access by faith. We've, we come into the very presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two. A symbolic act. You see, through that curtain, once a year, one man went covered in blood in the old regime. Now, everybody can come. Because the blood has been shed once and for all. And therefore, we have access. We can come into the very presence of God. The Emeritus quietly went into the presence of God just a few days ago. Into the reality, the wonder. But it's not just for the future. It's a reality in the present. One day we shall know it fully. We shall be there forever in the presence of God. But now you see we may enjoy it because you see he has died for us. And when God looks on us, he sees Christ. If we're in Christ. The presence of God. And nothing can separate us from that love. I think last time I preached I told you that there are certain snags in being married to a a person who sings in the celebration choir because you have to listen to all the songs when you're trying to sleep in bed. Uh, now, tomorrow night's the final service of the celebration choir, the big occasion in the Octagon Centre, so it's even worse now. And the one that we put up with now is this great song, which I approve, uh, called Nothing Can Separate Us From The Love Of God. But the trouble is the celebration choir sing it time and time again. Nothing but nothing. And the bed shakes every time Morris sings it. Nothing <laughs> but nothing but nothing. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I should remember that song for a long time nothing will because of Christ's death we are in the presence of God now by faith then forever thirdly pride in the gospel we boast we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God we boast in the hope of the glory of God uh, elsewhere Paul will say in Galatians 6 that the only thing he boasts about is the cross of Jesus Christ that's what he boasts about and isn't it, isn't it staggering Think of what Paul could have boasted about. He could have boasted about his spotless pedigree, about his Christian experience, about the uniqueness of his apostolic ministry, about the places he'd been to and preached, about the books he'd written. No, no. He just boasted in the cross, which made him exactly the same as every other Christian. However ordinary they were, he boasted in the one thing that made them one. And he was proud of the gospel. He boasted in the gospel. And that's what we must do. It's we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul has said in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we do. In this world we may be transformed into his glory, from, into his image from glory to glory, but we're always short. Then we shall be there in the glory of God, sharing it. We boast in hope. What a difference that makes. 
This last week or two, I've been uh, involved in two very different deaths. Uh, Martin and I visited for a long time, a lady who died at the age of 98, and we had a little service of thanksgiving for her just the other day here in this church. She was a remarkable lady, but for years she'd lain in a bed in a hospital, hardly able to talk to anyone or to listen to anyone, and eventually, by the grace of God, she went home. But it was struck me, I've also been ministering to a lady who died exactly half her age, exactly, 49. Anne was a lady who was in the 20s group here, a nurse, an unmarried girl, a nurse. And we've shared together in some of the awareness that she hadn't a long time to live. We could talk happily. In reality, in reality how easy it is when you can talk about death and hope without embarrassment. And we did. And I went to see her just a week or so ago, two weeks ago. I just got back from Romania. And uh, she said, it's good of you to come. You must be tired having travelled back from Romania. I said, does it matter that I'm tired and you're dying of cancer? Come on, let's get things in perspective. And she said, I'm glad you've come. I want you to pray. I've just been in hospital for treatment and I've gone through a difficult patch. I want you to pray that when I do die, I shall die with dignity and at peace. What lies beyond now, she'd come back to the Lord. And what lies beyond now, I'm happy about. Uh, we've talked about that. And so I said, I will. And we chatted about other things. She's a very lively mind. We didn't just talk about death and, and eternity. And at the end of my talking, I said, no, I will pray that you will die eventually in peace and in dignity. I did. About three o'clock that afternoon. Nine o'clock next morning, a phone call. Anne has died in the night. We thought it might have been months ahead. I prayed and she did die in dignity at peace. Just tapped on the window, on the, on the wall that the next door neighbour, a lovely person came in, held her hand and she went to glory. Now, why I say that is that, you see, without that confidence, without that confidence that whether you're 98 or 49, Christ has died for you. This is the hope. I couldn't minister. I really couldn't. But you see, because I've got pride in the gospel, I have something to offer. Anne died in one sense, a completely lonely person. But she died with the awareness of eternal life and hope. The presence of God, pride in the gospel, peace with God. And fourthly, perseverance in grace, verses 3 to 4. Oh, of course, it, there will be sufferings, there will be difficulty. Suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. Uh, it doesn't mean to say because we've trusted in Christ that it's a shortcut to everything wonderful. There will be battles along the way and in the strange providence of God. Often it's in the battles that good comes. Younger people won't understand it here. But there are those of us who do remember the Second World War who sometimes wish that some of the things we did in the Second World War were true now. One little thing. Do you know? In the Second World War, those who were, who were much too young to know it, uh, complete blackout. Old ladies would walk down the street at night in blackout and not fear any thought that anybody might molest them. Now I get people say, I, can't, I don't come out at night because it's not safe when the roads are flooded with light. Wartime did something. In an odd kind of way, you see, strange by the strange providence of God, that happens. 
I, I, I rather gathered at 9.15 service, there was a little wager how long it would be before Philip Hacking mentioned that Sheffield Wednesday won 5 nothing yesterday. Well, there you are. I've managed as long as this, and it was a battle to manage as long as this. In case you didn't know, we did win 5 nothing yesterday. Well, uh, I sit in the cot with, my, uh, with Margaret, my wife, of course, but also with my son and my grandson. And a few weeks ago, my, poor, my grandson, Tom, hadn't even seen them score, let alone win. And I, I, I leant across eventually. I thought I'd better have a word of, a, a grandfatherly word of pastoral comfort to Tom. I said, Tom, you see, watching Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, it's, it's good for you. I mean, these, these guys who watch Manchester United, they, they, you know, they, they always win. It's boring, utterly boring. Even watching Leeds United this year, utterly boring. They win every match. There you are. Uh, but um, I said, watching Sheffield Wednesday, it, Tom, it's good for your character. I don't think he was at all impressed by that fact. He really wasn't. He had no desire to have anything good for his character. So yesterday, he moved from perseverance in grace to pride in the gospel. He had a wonderful swap yesterday. One of the ladies at 9.15 told me she'd taken a photograph of the score on the, uh, to keep it posterity in case it never happens again. But seriously, it is true, is it not? That in the strangeness of God, there is a battle going on and it does help to produce in us character. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, I've often been sceptical about the peace process in Northern Ireland. I go across to Northern Ireland often, and I, though I hesitate ever to discuss Northern Ireland politics as a mere Englishman. Nonetheless, I, I've been often across there, and I've been a bit suspicious. But it does look, and we pray that it will, that it's beginning to last. But you see, it, a lot of people have paid a price. Years ago, I remember going there and speaking to a, a woman whose husband was in the forces and who'd lost his life diffusing a bomb. I've always thought of that because there's a word in the New Testament which is all about diffusing bombs. Well, they didn't have bombs, did they? But taking the sting out of death is a great Greek word. And this husband of this lady had gone and taken a risk and had been killed. Jesus didn't take a risk. It's an absolute certainty. And he died for us. Past experience, present enjoyment, future expectation, finally, verses 9 to 11. We're justified by faith, says verse 1. That is, we're accepted because of our faith in what he's done for us. We're justified by his blood, verse 9, the other side. And you get this lovely how much more. You see, we'll be saved from God's wrath and we'll be saved through his life. Those two great truths. This is our future assurance. We, uh, we had a good time in Romania two weeks ago. It was lovely uh, to be in Romania and to meet with Christian friends. And I just met with ten years ago. I'd love to be back again to, to celebrate with them. On the way home, we had to have a look at the Ceausescu Palace, that obscene art, uh, building in Bucharest, which I gather was on Mike, uh, Michael Palin's thing the other day. The second largest building in the world, built at the death of, over the death of people, houses pulled down, people dispossessed, an awful obscenity, uh, a kind of monument to man's inhumanity, to man's utter arrogance, however beautiful it may look. But we'd been with some lovely Christians and we'd enjoy worshipping with them and we'd seen, actually now what you need to pray for, the greatest enemy now is not communism but the Orthodox Church. The battle they have with the Orthodox Church. How dare you preach the gospel on our patch. That's where they battle, bless them. 
They do enjoy long services, mind you. They do enjoy long services. I, we, our service started at 5 o'clock in the evening, and I nudged Bob Dunnigan next to me in the choir. We were a choir as well. And I nudged Bob Dunnigan next to me. I said, a little wager. We're starting at 5. Christchurch Forward starts at 6.30. Which do you think will finish first? And it was about a dead heat, I think. We finished at 10 to 8, which I suspect was a dead heat. We had nearly three hours. You don't know you're born. Uh, but they're lovely Christian people. And I was reminded in that situation that terrorists will always come in different guises. Tyrants will arise. They always will. But there's an ultimate final judgment. And for us as believers, when we look to the future, we know, yes, there will be the wrath of God. Make no mistake about it. Nobody ever gets off scot-free. Whether or not Mugabe will ever be turfed, turned off his position, which I hope and pray he will, remains to be seen. But he will one day face his comeuppance. He won't ultimately escape. For you see, there is a final day. And we are saved from God's wrath only because of Christ's blood, only because he died for us there in verse 9. We are saved by God's wrath. But also we are saved by Christ's life. This is the uniqueness, of course. This is the uniqueness of Christ. That he not only died, but he rose again. And by his risen life, we shall be saved now and on until that day. No, going back to my original story as I finish, I wasn't around uh, the First World War, uh, unlike my friend, when I first went to Edinburgh, there was a dear lady I used to visit who was then 100, and I was then in my late 20s. So you can imagine the time gap. And she was born in the Crimean War. What was my, my, conversation, my first conversation with her? She said, I don't suppose you remember the Boer War, do you? I said, no, I can't say I do remember the Boer War. Uh, you know, she said, well, I, well, I do. She was married in the Boer War. She, so I said, she said, you don't even remember the First World War, do you? I said, no, I thought I, I really had no standing in life, whatever. I didn't remember the First World War. But I, I, I do remember the Second World War. Uh, that gave me some distinction. And I do remember the Second World War. There was the D-Day and the V-Day. The D-Day when the battle was joined on the continent. And because that happened, eventually, almost inevitably, there was a V-Day, a victory day. But, of course, there was a lot of suffering and death in between. I thank God for the assurance that there's a final V-Day. Christ's V-Day will come one day. In a sense, it's happened already. He's victorious and risen. But one day he returns. One day there was a final V-Day because he went through his D-Day. Have you noticed how often when you have these tragedies in the world, you get this phrase mouthed almost all too easily. We must make sure it will never happen again. And it always does. There never will be a day when you won't need a Remembrance Day. I'm not just predicting, because I'm a preacher, I'm telling you in the words of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, that there always will be wars and rumours of wars till the end. Oh, there'll be no war in heaven. There'll be no war then. No suffering. But till that day, there always will be. So it will happen again. But may I suggest to you that there are two things at least that will never happen again. You will actually never meet at midday on the 11th day of the 11th month in this church uh, in the year 2007. You may meet here on the 11th and the 11th another year, but this particular moment in which you live will never happen again. This is the only moment which I'm sure, the only moment I am sure of. And secondly, 
You've only got one life. It won't happen again. Oh, you hear stories of reincarnation. Please don't even begin to go down that path. The Bible is absolutely clear. That is nonsense. It's appointed to men once to die. And then the judgment. So you've no other life than this. And as I get older, I, I point it is to live this life properly. As long as I've got it. And there's one other thing that will never happen again. He'll never die on a cross again. Oh, Hebrews 9.28 says that he died once and he will come again a second time. But he will come a second time not to die for us, but in judgment. Uh, there's no second chance in that sense. The cross is unique. And while today with you, oh yes, I did remember my Scottish friend's little warning. Of course it's right to have Remembrance Day. Of course we need to be careful not to say things that aren't true. No, of course. There's no shortcut to heaven because you die on a battlefield. Of course not. We need to be saved from all that sort of stuff. I remember as a curate, we had to have a British Legion service and we sang songs that I really couldn't sing. Oh, valiant heart. No, I, there was no gospel in that. But I rejoice on this day, I rejoice on this day, that if it's true that people give their lives for what matters to them, that once there was a man who gave his life because he loved me, gave himself for me and the whole world he loved. That gives me hope. And I am not unmindful that there are people, even as I preach in the comfort and ease of this church, who are dying for what they believe now. We need to remember them also. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a great closing hymn. Before we do, I'm going to pray. But when we do get to this hymn, it's one of, we, we owe a lot to Stuart Townend. He's a great young man. This hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Those who remember me at all will know I used to say about the heart the herald angels sing. There was a sermon in every line. Well, this has almost reached that category of a sermon in every line. Not quite, but almost. And I hope that when you get to the end of singing this hymn, this is the last word you will sing as you go out from this Remembrance Day service. This I know with all my heart. His wounds, his wounds have paid my ransom. Hope you believe it. Hope you mean it. And just perhaps for somebody, Remembrance Day 2007 will be a day you remember forever. Because of the day when this became real. For you. Let me pray.